Grace and peace are yours from God our Father whose deep love sent his son Jesus to be your Savior. Dear Christian friends, over the last two weeks so far, we've been looking at what is often referred to as Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. It was Jesus' kind of familiar words where he was talking specifically to his disciples, to his followers, right? And it's important to understand that because these were people that trusted by God's gift of faith, they trusted that Jesus was their Savior from sin. And that gift from God then changed eternity from death to life. Their trust that Jesus is their Savior changed everything. And it's important to understand that it changed everything because it didn't only change eternity. God wants us to remember that that changes now also. It changes hearts. It changes lives. It changes viewpoints. It changes the way we think, the way we see other people, the way that we act. It changes, like the last few weeks we've looked at, our, what it means to be blessed, what our purpose is, and today, what it means to love. This is important to understand because what Jesus lays out in this Sermon on the Mount for a bunch of people that are his followers whose hearts are now have Jesus living in there by faith, ruling on the throne, it means that we live in a kingdom that's different, right? It doesn't look all that different. We don't look all that different, maybe in some ways, shapes, or forms. You don't look, I can't look at somebody and go, oh, Christian, not Christian. Christian, not Christian. At least not just by looking at their face or what they wear. But God wants us to understand that living in his kingdom, having Jesus in our hearts, it changes the way that we live, the why that we live. And so it does look different. In fact, it looks very contrary. Not just different, not just like a little different. It looks totally different, contrary to what the world says is this is how you live. Jesus says, no, this is how you live. And today we see that as we look at what Jesus says about how we love. Now, Jesus, before these words, had laid out his design. We skipped a a, a little section in there. He had laid out his design, his desire, and his level of seriousness about a number of different topics, very, very relevant, I might add about how we treat other people, right? Our, how the, the way that we, we treat one another, physically. The way that God has designed his plan for sex and marriage and how seriously he takes those things. His purpose in the way that we use our words and the way that we use our words about God. And he's laid out all of this and now he gets to a section that's maybe even harder than all of that. All of those things we look at and we go, God's design and the world's plan, the world says is good, those are different things. Those are very contrary. But this one is probably even more so. And it's God's design, his desire for you when it comes to love. 
So let's take a look as Jesus begins this very contrary section talking about his design for love. He begins in verse 38 and he says, You've heard it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. Oh, well, let's just stop right there, Jesus. I like that. I can get on board with that. That is something that I know, right? This is like the history of the world. Every war, almost every war, almost every plot for a, a movie, a book, a TV show, like probably half of them in the history of the world have all been with this as their, sub, as their subtitle, right? That there's some version, some element of revenge, of one-upmanship, of getting back at someone. And so we can, we can get on board with this. We can understand this because this is the way that the world works. And if we're honest, this is the way our heart works too. Our heart hears those words and says, yeah, this is the law of the playground or the jungle. You hurt me, I'll hurt you, right? We know this. We learned it back in fourth grade, third grade, fifth grade, science class, right? Our first takeaway this morning, that when we're hurt, we have two natural options. You know what they are. You learned what they are. They are fight or flight. And this is what the world says. When you're hurt, you have two choices. You hurt back, right? Somebody hits you, you hit back. Somebody insults you, you insult back. Somebody hurts you, hurt them right back. That's fight. Or there's flight. But let's be honest, like flight isn't just getting out of the situation most of the time. Flight is, is I'm hurt and I don't know how to retaliate right this moment, so I'm going to step away. But boy, I'm not letting it go. Because it's in my heart and it's on my mind and I'm mad and I'm hurt and I'm just stewing and festering and waiting for a way to get my pound of flesh. Which is like the subplot that we see played out far too often, isn't it? School shootings, disgruntled employees, right? Coming back and, and attacking at their workplace. Where does all that come from? Fight or flight, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Now, thankfully, I don't think anyone in here has ever done any of those things. Those are terrible things, and we would say, oh, that's horrible. God says, yes, they are. God also says, you know what's just as bad? In fact, 12 verse, 16 verses before this, you know what Jesus said? If you murder someone, you'll face judgment. If you are angry with someone, you will face judgment. Ooh. So the flight... And not acting on it later, but just being ticked off and hurt and bitter. Well, God says it simply and succinctly in 1 John 3. He says, anyone who hates his brother, hates his brother, is a murderer. If you hate a brother or sister, if you hate another person, in your heart, what have you done? In God's eyes, you've killed them. Because that's what you want to do. You just didn't actually go through it. God says, that doesn't, I, he knows your heart. He knows what you are thinking. He knows what you desire. And he says, that is not okay. Which is hard. Because it's so easy. 
It's so natural when somebody hurts us. If we don't hurt them back right in the moment, boy, we sit and we think about it for a while. I could really, ooh, I could mess them up pretty good, couldn't I? I'd like to. I want to. But maybe I won't because God says I shouldn't. Not only that, God says, no, get rid of it in your heart. That that's just as bad and just as dangerous for you spiritually. But boy, that's contrary to the way our hearts work, isn't it? That is hard to do. And you know what's interesting? Those words, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, we, we tend to know those words. That, that's a common phrase that the world knows because it comes from the Bible. It's one of the few things that, that like unbelievers know about the Bible. Well, it says in the Bible, an eye for an eye. You're right, it does, in the Old Testament. Do you know what the context was? It was never intended to be used on an individual level. It is never an excuse for you to get revenge. It was actually part of God's design for his Old Testament people in their court system. It was a principle similar to one that we would probably know today or use today. Maybe you've even used it with kids or in a classroom. Let the punishment fit the crime. So the whole, the whole idea behind eye for eye and tooth for tooth was not, ooh, see, God says I can get revenge. It was, no, when someone commits a crime that their punishment isn't excessive. But it was never intended to be used personally as an excuse so that I can let hatred and sin run free in my heart. And God knows the problem, the struggle that that really is. Which is why Jesus is about to make abundantly clear through a number of different examples, this principle. It, it runs contrary to eye for eye and tooth for tooth. Look at, notice he says, he started, you've heard it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. You know this, you know this phrase, you know that verse, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. Whew. That's tough. That's a, a hard statement from Jesus, isn't it? Don't resist someone when you know that they're doing something to hurt you. Don't resist someone when you know that they're wicked, that their heart is, is in the wrong place and going for the wrong thing. Does that mean God wants us to be victims? That, to let people take advantage of us? No. And he's going to make that clear because he's about to give a number of different examples some of them you're probably familiar with. You've heard, in fact, maybe you've had them quoted to you. And through these examples, Jesus wants us to understand a principle. The examples he's about to give are not examples that you are to take and go, well, he said I have to do this. They're to learn the principle, to understand what Jesus wants to come from this example. Okay? That's important to remember. It's important to remember what the goal is in the whole thing. And the goal is our second takeaway. That every single time someone hurts me, the goal is to show the person who hurt me what Jesus has done for them. Not for me, well, for me too, but God wants this to be an opportunity for you 
when that person is vulnerable in their anger, in their hurt, right, to show them, hey, let me show you this unnatural, contrary love. So let's take a look at the examples Jesus gives. Verse 39. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. There it is. Turn the other cheek, right? You've heard this one. You probably even had somebody say it to you. Well, you're a Christian. You have to turn the other cheek. Jesus is saying, when someone hurts you, when someone insults you, I mean, literally, he says, okay, give them the other cheek to hit too. But do you understand the purpose, the goal, the principle behind it? It's not an example that you have to follow to the letter every time. It's the principle that he wants you to understand. Because what's our natural temptation? What's our natural tendency when we are hurt? When someone slaps us, when someone insults us, when someone uses their words to whack us across the face? Well, all right, it's fight or flight, right? We want to whack them back. And do you know what happens then? First of all, it escalates the situation. But secondly, that person that initiated the conflict, that person that initiated the insult or the violence, well, now they feel vindicated. See, they had it coming. They deserved what they got. But what happens if you don't retaliate? What happens if you turn the other cheek, as Jesus said, not to become more of a victim, but to not strike back, to not lash out back, to not hurt back? Well, all of a sudden, if you've ever had this happen to you where you insulted somebody and they just walked away, or they said something that, ooh, not, not hurtful back, but like exposing what I did, I don't feel vindicated, I feel ashamed. And that's the point, because what does Jesus want us to do? Again, it's to lead them to see their wrongs so that we can show them their Savior. Example number one. Example number two, and if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. So this is not somebody asking you for something, right? They are suing you. They're demanding something from you. And Jesus says, if somebody demands the shirt literally off your back, Give them your coat as well. Now, in Jesus' day, this actually had a much bigger meaning. Even though you may not have some, like, nice and designer brand, right, some North Face Patagonia coats, like, whoa, I'm not handing over my coat. In Jesus' day, the cloak, the outer garment, the outer wrap, was actually what they would often roll up and use either as a pillow or as an, another covering at night to stay warm. So, like, this is, like, long-term comfort. What's the point Jesus is making? To be a rube that gets taken advantage of? No. What he's, do, what he's saying, though, is giving someone something that demands it from you. Okay, here you go. Uh, and here's this as well. Whoa. Like, that's kind of a shocking, wait a minute. Like, why would you do that? that who does that? Like, if you remember what Romans 12 said it heaps burning coals on their head. All of a sudden, it, it kind of shocks the system. It shocks their conscience that God uses to expose, you are being a real stinker. You're being rotten. Why are you doing this? It, God uses those kinds of things to expose 
weakness to expose fault and sin, right? The next one, verse 41. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. So this is where the saying comes from, go the extra mile, right? So at, in Jesus' day, the Roman army was the, the imperial power over the entire Mediterranean world. And they had, under Roman law, they had the right when soldiers were out on march or when they were going from one place to another, that anybody who was walking along, anybody that they saw working in a field, whatever, they could take that person and force them to carry their pack for up to one mile. 5,280 feet. No further. But they could make you go that far. And Jesus says, when somebody forces you to do something, what's our nat- again, what's our heart say? dig in the heels, right? I'm not going to go. If you've ever tried to to lead a horse, you know. If you ever tried to make a two-year-old do something they don't want to do, you know, right? Dig in your heels, resist as hard as you can, throw yourself on the floor and throw a fit. I'm not going to do that. But Jesus says, do the opposite. Show love. Go the, go further then you're being forced to. And then the last one, verse 42. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Now, this is not a cry to help those that are in need. That is a a truth throughout Scripture that God wants Christians to be generous and to help those that genuinely and truly need it. To look for the, the opportunity to help those in need with compassion and kindness. But that's not what this is about. This is not about them. This is about you and your heart. And Jesus, so Jesus' point is that when somebody asks you for something, what is in your heart when you say yes? Is it, I have the opportunity to do something for someone? Or is it, ooh, if I do this, then they'll owe me one. If I do this, I wonder, you know, I wonder if I can get some kind of payment or some kind of reward for it. If I do this, maybe they'll publicly celebrate me as this really nice and really good person. Because the problem is our hearts, isn't it? Our hearts are so broken and so self-focused that we look at almost every opportunity as what's it about for me? And Jesus wants to take that mentality and flip it on its head. That's why this whole section is called contrary. Because it is so different. And you may have noticed, to this point, Jesus hasn't said the word love a single time. That is about to change, though, as he, as he talks about and describes love. Take a look, beginning at verse 43. Jesus says, you've heard it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Oh, that's easy, right? We do that one. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, 
what reward will you get? Aren't not even the tax collectors, right? The, the most hated people in their society doing that. And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than the others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. That's definitely contrary, isn't it? We like the first part Jesus said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Yeah, that, that, that fits with what's in my heart. That fits what the world says. But Jesus says, no, love your enemies. Pray for those that make life difficult, that intentionally put problems in your way. Pray for them. Uh, that's not easy to do. Doesn't Jesus understand that, that that's really hard? Yes, he does. Now, one thing to keep in mind before we keep going, Jesus isn't saying, make yourself an easy victim. Jesus isn't saying, be naive, be a rube that just gets taken advantage of all the time. In another section of the Bible, he talks about, he says to be as shrewd as a snake but as innocent as a dove, right? To be wise, but to also be pure and innocent in doing so. To not give people an, exam an, an opportunity to point out your faults, to, to hurt you because of something you've done. But when they do hurt you, feel free to say, hey, that was not okay. Don't lash out, don't react out of anger, right? Don't do one of the two options that we think are the only ones that we have, fight or flight, because Jesus says, you've actually got a third option, and it's the one that he wants us to practice. It's love. That's why Jesus tells us at the very end, be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect, right? He points us to this bigger picture I want you to love people because who does? Your Heavenly Father does. He loves people that hate Him. He loves people that, that violently oppose Him. He loves people who go around and say there is no such thing as a God. Who would believe that? Only the stupidest of people. And yet, your Heavenly Father sends them sun, sends them rain, sends them, right, the food that provides for their bodies. God provides the external things for them because even though they hate him, he loves them. And so Jesus says, with that in mind, be perfect. Now, we often take this sentence, that statement, and we use it to show how far short of the perfection that God demands we fall. And that is an absolute truth, right? We know that. There are plenty of other places in the Bible that, that make the same truth abundantly clear. We fall short. But here, if you notice the context, Jesus isn't just saying, be perfect in the context of all of God's law with, in your relationship with God. He's saying, in your relationship with other people, be perfect so that no one has lived such a good life, such a loving, holy life, that nobody has an opportunity to bear a grudge against you or have a complaint against you. The problem is, though, well, 
we don't, right? We fall short. And again, we think, yeah, but this, what Jesus wants us to do, that's pretty much impossible. That's how contrary it is. But keep in mind who spoke these words. Jesus. Jesus spoke them and Jesus lived them. Which is our our third takeaway this morning. Jesus didn't seek revenge, but he showed love. There was no fight and there was no flight. There was love. Think about it, when the the Pharisees came with those tests, right, the words that were intended to trap him, these logic bombs that, that there's no way to come up with the right answer, and Jesus just left them speechless, right? Because his answer was something they never would have imagined, not just because of the wisdom involved, but because of the love involved. Think of what happened when one of his best friends betrayed him and led this armed mob to come and arrest him. And another one of Jesus' best friends pulled out his sword and cut off the ear of one of those people that came to arrest Jesus, right? I mean, Jesus could have taken out the sword and been like the ultimate action hero, right? I mean, the rock, that guy's got nothing compared to Jesus. He's got ninja skills. But that's not what he did. He didn't fight. And he didn't run away either. Instead, he chose the third option. The one that isn't a part of our human nature, the one that comes from God. And he chose love. And and he reached out and he healed that man that had come to arrest him. He healed him. When, When Pilate, Pontius Pilate, accused him, what did Jesus say? buddy, you better step back because you don't know who I really am. He did say, my kingdom isn't of, of this world. I didn't come to be an earthly king. You do what you need to do because I have a bigger plan. It wasn't fight. It wasn't calling down legions of angels. It wasn't, I'm just going to walk out of here because you can't hold me. It was love. Which is amazingly beautiful and good because we need that, don't we? I mean, think of how often we are actually in the same boat. When we disappoint God, not quite living up to the way that he wants, or when we just blatantly disobey God. When we take his forgiveness and we say, good, because I'm going to need that later, and we just blatantly abuse it. All of the times that, that God should just look at us and say, oh, good grief, I am so done with you. I'm going to walk away. I'm going to flight this one. Or, oh, you're going to get it now. I'm going to fight this one. You're going to get what you'd rightfully deserve. And that's hell. And it's horrible and it's eternal. But God didn't do either of those. God did the third one. The one that he wants us to know and to love and to live. God chose love that his son took all of the mess of our lives, all of the mess of this world, all of the brokenness and sin and grief and hurt, and he took it all on the cross and he gave his own life, perfect life. Not because he couldn't have fought it, 
And not because he couldn't have run away, but because he loved. He loved you. And he loved me. And he loved every other soul that has ever walked this earth. And the beautiful thing is, you know it. You believe it. You trust it. That's why you're here. Because God loves you. And thank God he does. We are here because of Jesus' love that makes us right in God's sight. That makes us pure and holy and righteous. So that when God looks at you and me, he sees innocent as, as doves. He sees Jesus. This beautiful creature. Not rotten and broken. And so he says, dear friends, I have a challenge, a job, a purpose, a love that I want you to live and to show. And it's our last takeaway this morning. That I live in Jesus' kingdom. And it's contrary to this world and it's contrary to my heart, but I live in it by faith. And that faith connects me to Jesus, which enables me to love like him. See, because you live in his kingdom, because Jesus lives here, you know what real love is. Not the, the wishy-washy love, not the love I love you because you love me, not the, yeah, we're friends, so, you know, there's kind of a love there. No, this is, this is selfless, self-sacrificing love. And when it's hard to do, I want you to think what God saw when he first looked at you. It wasn't beautiful. And it wasn't sweet. And it sure wasn't innocent. It was a mess. A mess of a heart that loved everything that God says is wrong. A mess of a heart that says, eh, not today, God, I'm going to do this. And God loved you in spite of it. And so when you have the opportunity, dear friends, to love, to show his love, to be compassionate, to not lash out, to not fight, and to not flight, but to love, Remember where your strength comes from. Remember how much you are loved. Because when you bask and fill up and drink deeply in that love of God, in what he has done for you, and how much he loves you, well then, then I love. Because it so fills me up, what God has done for me, that it sure makes it a whole lot easier to love others. Even those that make life difficult. It's not easy. It's very contrary. But it's what God has called us to do. Not flight, not fight and not flight, but love. Amen. Please stand.